Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. Our scripture reading today is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6, the verses 1 through 4. Let us hear the word of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord." This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God, and the text for the sermon today is the last verse that we have just read, Ephesians 6 and verse 4. These words, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his Holy Word to our hearts today. Dear friends, before starting a major project like renovating your bathroom or kitchen, adding an addition to your home, and doing some landscaping around the house, it's always a good idea to have a plan. The plan gives you the goal. It tells you what materials you will need, where they will be placed, and what the project will look like when it's all finished. And once the plan is approved, you stick with it. You do everything according to the plan. Well, this is also true when it comes to raising our children. When it comes to raising children, it's good and wise to have a plan. Now, surprisingly, however, most parents do not have such a plan. Most parents today have absolutely no plan at all when it comes to raising their children. They simply take it one day at a time, or they raise their children the way their parents raised them. But they do not have an overall strategy, a plan, or a goal. And that leads, in many cases, to a lot of frustration and disappointment. Now, there are a lot of books on the market today about how to raise children. But the most important book is the Word of God. The Word of God, the Bible, teaches us everything we will need to know about how to live in this world, including how to raise our children. And one of the most profound verses of Scripture in this connection is the verse from which our text is taken today, Ephesians 6, verse 4. And I read those words again. The Apostle Paul writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Here in only one verse, God lays out for us a basic plan for the raising of covenant children. And it's to this plan that we turn our attention with God's help today. My theme is God's plan for the raising of covenant children. We'll consider, first of all, the persons addressed, secondly, the program prescribed, and thirdly, the product anticipated. The words of our text are taken from the so-called practical section of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and I'm referring here to chapters 4 through 6. 
Beginning in chapter 5, verse 22, the Apostle Paul describes the practical outworking of the gospel in marriage and family life. So in chapter 5, verses 22 to 24, he describes the duty of wives toward their husbands. They are to submit to their husbands and as the church submits to Christ. And then following this, in verses 25 to 33, he describes the duty of husbands toward their wives. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Then in chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, he describes the duty of children toward their parents. They are to honor them. And following this, in verse 4 of chapter 6, Paul describes the duty specifically of fathers toward their children. They are not to provoke them to wrath, but rather they are to bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now you'll notice that this command is addressed specifically to fathers. It is fathers who are called by God to bring up their children in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, this is not to suggest, of course, that mothers are excluded from this. That would not be scriptural. The scriptures clearly teach that mothers are and must be involved in the raising of their children. And yet, Paul in our text addresses himself specifically to fathers. Why? Well, there are several possible reasons for this. First of all, because many fathers tend to neglect this responsibility. In some cases, that is done consciously. The husband believes that it's his job to make the money and to provide for the family. And his wife's job is to look after the house and raise the children. He doesn't expect her to do his job, and she should certainly not expect him to do hers. But in other cases, this happens more or less by default. The husband comes becomes so involved in his work or he serves on so many committees in the church and at the Christian school or some other activity that he simply doesn't have the time to help out with the children. In fact, he hardly ever sees them except on Sundays because he's hardly ever home. And when he is home, he doesn't want to be bothered by petty details. He thinks he's got enough problems on his plate without getting involved in difficulties at home. So he conveniently leaves the matter of bringing up the children to his wife. Besides, he thinks the wife has plenty of time, more time than I do at least. And what is more, she's better with the children, so let her look after it. Now over and against all of this, God says no. He says, you fathers are to be involved in the raising of your children. You cannot transfer that responsibility to your wives. In fact, the ultimate responsibility for the raising of your children rests with you. So you had better take it seriously. Another reason why this command is addressed to fathers is because the father is, or at least ought to be, the head of the home. Now that's not a very popular concept nowadays, but it is true nonetheless. In Ephesians 5, verse 22 and 23, Paul writes, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ 
is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Did you catch that? The husband is the head of the wife and the husband and wife together are the head of their children. Now, that doesn't mean that the husband is a little dictator, bossing his wife and children around like they were his servants. That's not at all what biblical headship means. But it does mean that he is ultimately responsible for whatever takes place in his home. The husband is the captain of the ship. He sets the tone. He sets the direction of the home. And when it comes to the children, he is ultimately responsible for their upbringing. That doesn't mean he has to do everything by himself. No, his wife may and must assist him in this. But ultimately, biblically, it is his responsibility. And he is the one that must give an account. Now, fathers, I wonder if you realize this sufficiently. How do you stand in relation to this part of the word of God? Are you taking your responsibilities as father seriously? Generally speaking, the fathers in our church communities do a good job providing for their families. They work hard and they do well. But what about your other responsibilities, fathers? Are you taking charge of providing for your family's spiritual needs? Do you pray with your wife and for your wife and your children? Do you talk to them about the things of the Lord? Do you ensure that they learn their memory work and, and they do their catechism homework and you bring them to church and you talk to them about the sermons and you pray about the sermons with your children as you gather together for family worship? And are you also taking charge of the upbringing of your children? Are you disciplining them consistently, firmly, and in love? Are you teaching them right from wrong? Are you setting before them a godly example? These responsibilities do not belong solely to your wife. They belong to you. Are you doing them? When the Lord was on his way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he said to himself, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? And then God said this, For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Well, I wonder, fathers, would the Lord say the same thing about you? Would he say of you today, I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice. Well, it goes without saying that this is only possible when we have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. No father in his natural state or condition will obey the injunction of our text or any injunction of the word of God. In order for that to happen, he must be born again by the word and spirit of Christ. And that means, fathers, if you're not in Christ today, you cannot be a good father. And why not? Because you can't fulfill your most important role, which is to be the spiritual head of your wife and of your children. Only a true believer in Christ can do that. 
This is that is so. Let the words of our text convince you today to stop living the way you've been living. Repent of your sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Only then can you be the kind of father that God wants and expects you to be. God's plan for the raising of covenant children, therefore, is addressed to fathers. But what does God command these fathers to do? Well, that brings us to our second point. After addressing the fathers, Paul proceeds to tell them what they must do. Negatively, he says, they must not provoke them to wrath. Now, that doesn't mean that we should always give in to our children, that we should give them whatever they want and never cross them on anything, lest they become angry with us. That would be to indulge them, which is neither biblical nor wise. The Greek word that Paul uses here means to make angry, to make resentful, or we could perhaps best translate it as to exasperate. So what God is forbidding here is exasperating our children to such an extent that they end up becoming bitter and angry and resentful. Now, how do we, especially as fathers, how do we do that? Well, we do that in all kinds of different ways. We do this by expecting more of our children than they are capable of giving. We do this by overprotecting them and not giving them freedom, especially as they grow older. We do this by favoring one child over another and making that obvious. We can do this by not practicing what we preach, expecting of our children a higher standard than we do ourselves. We do this by not spending time with them, by disciplining them harshly out of anger and frustration without love, by calling them names or continually putting them down or making fun of them, even in jest, by never telling them that we love them or appreciate them, by failing to apologize for things that we did or said that were clearly wrong, by never encouraging them and complimenting them on a job well done. On all of these ways and more, we, especially as fathers, provoke our children to wrath. In some cases, even when they're grown up and they become adults, we make them bitter and resentful. And God says in our text, don't do that. By all means, forbid them from doing things that are clearly wrong and sinful. Warn them, even oppose them when they're going astray. But do not, do not exasperate them. Do not drive them to the point of bitterness and resentment. Because if you do, they will come to resent and possibly even to hate you. And God knows this. He sees the consequences of this. And therefore, he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. But that's not all Paul says. For after telling us what we are not to do, Paul goes on to tell us what we are to do. And what is that? Well, he says, bring them up. Don't provoke them to wrath, but instead, positively, bring them up. Now, the Greek word here means <clears throat> to nurture. <clears throat> it's the same word used in chapter 5, verse 29. There the Apostle Paul writes that no one ever hated his own flesh, <clears throat> but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Except in this verse, it means to feed or to nourish now, one commentator translates the word here as rear them up tenderly. And the point is, we are not to allow our children to live the way they want to live and to be the kind of person that they want to be. 
We are to lovingly, patiently nurture them to live the way God wants them to live and to be the kind of person that God wants them to be, namely a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that implies something. It implies that left to themselves, our children will not do this automatically. They will not automatically grow up to be the kind of children and adults that God wants them to be. And that's because our children are sinners by nature. They have inherited a sin nature from us, ultimately from Adam and Eve. And as sinners, they are utterly incapable and even unwilling to do what God wants them to do. Proverbs 22, verse 15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And Proverbs 29, verse 15 says, A child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Scriptures teach that if you allow a child to do what he wants, if you raise him up in an atmosphere of complete freedom, if you allow him to make all of his own choices, to do his own thing, to express himself freely, the result will be shameful and disastrous. He will bring shame on his mother and on his father. And God knows this too. And that's why he tells us parents, especially you fathers, to bring up your children. It's as though he's saying, don't let them go their own way. Don't let them do their own thing, but raise them up according to my word. Yes, it's easier to just let them be. It's easier to just let them live the way they want to live, but don't do it. Bring them up. Now, maybe you say, well, how do I do this? What tools has God given us to bring up our children? Again, Paul answers that question too. He says we are to bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, Paul mentions here two tools that we are to use in bringing up our children. First, the first tool is training. In some versions of the Bible, the word training is translated as discipline. And while that's a legitimate translation, the word training here is actually better. And that's because when we think of the word discipline in connection with child rearing, we think of punishing our children when they do wrong. But the Greek word here is more positive. The emphasis here is not so much on punishing our children when they do something wrong, but rather on teaching them, leading them, guiding and encouraging them to do right. The second tool that Paul gives us here is admonition. The word here literally means to put in mind. It emphasizes impressing certain truths and patterns of behavior on the mind of our child so that he or she will not forget it. And this is accomplished by warning them. And when they do right, encourage them and compliment them. But you say, now what happens when these tools don't have the desired effect? Well, then you must use another tool, and that is the tool of discipline which may or may not include the careful and measured use of the rod. Now, a lot has been written on this subject of discipline. Suffice it to say that in order for discipline to be effective, it must be administered, first of all, lovingly. We must never, ever discipline out of anger, especially when we use a form of corporal punishment, such as spanking or the wooden spoon. Secondly, discipline must be fair. Less serious infractions should be punished with less severe punishments, 
whereas more serious infractions should be punished with more severe punishment. Discipline should also be consistent. The same infraction must be punished all the time in the same way. It must also be immediate. Don't wait until later. Otherwise, the child, especially when they're young, will forget what he's being disciplined for. Do it right then and there. And certainly don't count to three. You should expect immediate obedience from your children. Fifthly, we need to do this with instruction. We need to help the child to understand what he or she did was wrong and why it was wrong so that they can understand why they were being disciplined for it. We must also discipline with prayer. We need to pray with our child, or we need to, better yet, have the child pray himself, asking the Lord to forgive him and to give him a new heart that loves God and that keeps his commandments. Finally, we need to discipline with reconciliation. We need to forgive the child upon apology and upon evidence of true repentance. And we need to assure him also of God's forgiveness. And we need to show signs of love and affection towards the child. Well, these are the tools that God has given us as we seek to bring up our children. And we must use them, as Paul goes on to say, with a view to the Lord. He says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The point is we are to do this according to the word of the Lord and to the glory and honor and praise of the Lord. Well, parents, fathers in particular, are you doing this? Notice that God here is not presenting us with a mere suggestion or a piece of friendly advice or wisdom. This is a command. God is commanding us, especially fathers, to bring up our children in the training and admonition of the Lord. And what is more, the verb here is in the present tense. Now, in the Greek, the present tense denotes ongoing activity. That means that bringing up our children is not something what we do now and then or only to a certain point. It's something that we as parents must do continually, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days of the year. We're never done in training and admonishing our children. Now, perhaps you say, well, why is this so important? Why does God place such importance on the training of our children? And the answer is simply this, because they are in a manner of speaking, his children. doesn't mean they're saved necessarily, but it does mean that they have been brought into a special relationship of favor with the Lord. He has established with them his covenant and signified and sealed the same in holy baptism. And as such, they belong to him. He claims them for his own. And he desires that they come to him in faith and repentance and to receive from him the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. And in order to facilitate this, God commands parents, and especially fathers, to bring up their children in the training and admonition of the Lord, because this is the means by which it pleases God to draw our children to himself. Well, this then is the program prescribed by the Lord. Now, what will be the result if we follow this program? Well, that brings us to our third and final point. Whenever we do what the Lord requires of us, blessings will result. And that's also true with respect to the raising of our children. When we raise our children in accordance with his word, then we have every reason to expect that they will grow up to fear and serve the Lord.
Now, a good example of this is Timothy, to whom Paul is writing this epistle. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, Paul calls to remembrance the genuine faith that was in Timothy, that was first in his grandmother Lois and then in his mother Eunice. Notice the connection. First Lois believed, then Eunice believed, and then Timothy believed. Now, how did Eunice, how did Timothy, rather, come to believe? Well, it was through the training and admonition of his mother and his grandmother, who taught him the scriptures from childhood, who warned and even punished him when he went astray, who also prayed for him and with him and set before him a godly example. Now, where his father was in all of this, we don't know. It's likely that Timothy's father was not a believer because the Bible says he was a Greek. It was his mother who was a believer and his grandmother. And so they undertook the spiritual nurture of Timothy. But the point is they took this task seriously. And Timothy grew up to become a true child of God and was used mightily by God in his church and in his kingdom. And dear parents, he will do the same for you and for your children as well if you follow what he prescribes in his word. Now, it's true, of course, that not all of our children will come to faith and repentance in Christ. Even though they receive the same upbringing as our other children, some of them will go astray. Some leave the church altogether, much to the grief of their parents and to the other believing family members. But as a general rule, they will, especially when accompanied by much prayer and supplication before the throne of God's grace. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that's not an ironclad guarantee. It's not even a promise. It's simply stating a general truth that if we raise up our children in the way that they should go, meaning according to God's word, then we have every assurance, every reason to believe that when they are old, they will not depart from it. And so let this be an encouragement to you parents. When you find yourself frustrated and discouraged when it comes to the raising of your children, remind yourself that all of your hours of instruction and discipline are not for nothing. They will pay off in the end. For every time you sit down and teach your children, every time you discipline them, Every time you warn and admonish them, you're setting him or her on the right path. And that is the path that leads to everlasting life. May God also grant that they may follow that path all the days of their lives so that they too might live in God's presence to all eternity. Amen. Dear friends, it's our great joy and privilege to be able to bring to you the Word of God every Sunday on this station. If you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Please take the time to write us a short note. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N. Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. 
And when you write, please indicate the call letters of this station. If you take the time to write to us, we'll gladly send you, free of charge, a wonderful booklet entitled Faith of Our Fathers. In this booklet, Pastor Neil Prunk, the former radio pastor of this program, explains the so-called doctrines of grace, otherwise known as the five points of Calvinism. We hope that it may be a rich blessing to you. Please note that we do not send out CDs of our radio messages. However, you can access and download all of our messages at any time from our website at www.banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.